The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. first-year player drafts. Uh, one thing that we wanted to kick off uh, is talking about FYPD settings, because I think uh, Jake and I off mic had some good conversation about what actually does constitute FYPD, how like ideally should they be set up. So uh, especially if you're um, thinking about doing um, a dynasty startup and it's your first time, this is probably going to be helpful to give you a, a good understanding of at least for Jake and I, kind of how we think about FYPD and what we think should be the standard, at least. Um, so, Jake, what was, like, you know, kind of talk through what, what your thought process was or, or kind of what sparked this this conversation. All right, so I did a dynasty startup draft in the middle of last season. Um, and I absolutely love the league. And um, we came up to the, you know, the FYPD, and we started talking in, in the group chat about how um, the player pool would be handled. And I was, you know, from the drafts I've done before, um, I was just under the assumption that like FYPD is just prospects. Um, you know, it's either just the guys that were drafted in 2022 and then the international signees from the most recent period, um, you know, or like the, just the rest of, you know, the prospects that are also in the pool. Um, but then the guys in my league here were talking about also including all major league free agents on the wire which was really interesting for me. I've never heard of that before. And so I'm thinking, I'm like, man, like, like Carlos Carrasco was on the wire in our league, like having a draft where we're deciding between Carlos Carrasco or like uh, Drew Jones, not that Carlos would ever go before Drew Jones, but like they're in the same pool, you know, it just feels weird um, outside of a startup, right? You have the startup, pretty much everyone's like free and available. Um, and then when you're doing the FYPDs, you it's, I like to think of it as just like you're, taking the players who have recently been introduced to professional baseball, distributing right. them evenly across the league, but then like prioritizing the teams that are not as good, right? The, you know, the teams that finish at the bottom of the league pick first. And so, right. It's like the, giving players in, getting everyone a shot to get them. Um, and it's an interesting wrinkle. Then if you want to include MLB guys. Yeah. Yeah. 
So I think on my end, um, what we were literally just talking about before we started recording is um, right now I'm in the middle of uh, a two a simultaneous draft. So I actually took over a team um, that was abandoned right before FYPD for the league kicked off. And so they were searching for managers uh, to, to take over. Uh, it was actually a couple of different um, teams that needed new managers, but also they were making the point to contract the league as well so now it's going from uh, i believe it was they were saying last year it was 16 and now they're going to um 14 it actually may have been larger than that but they're going down to 14 teams so we're doing a dispersal draft which if you're new to dynasty dispersal drafts happen in these cases where you have a team that gets you know drafted was run at some point in time by a manager and then that manager left was removed what have you and uh, if you're if you're bringing the league size down as this league is, so you're trying to literally contract the league just like in real life sports, then just like they have expansion drafts, you're kind of having a draft to disperse these existing players out. So we have that draft, but then we also, because of the timing, have the actual FYPD draft. The other added wrinkle, and, and this is what I wanted to say for the pod, Jake, is like the other added wrinkle is because it's Dynasty, the teams that were contracted have major league players and minor league players. So it's like, okay, where did those, where did the minor league prospects go? Do they go in the FYPD with other prospects? Do they go in the, so the decision was, well, they're going to go and stay in the dispersal draft. So then you're looking at a guy, to use your example, like Carlos Carrasco or Dre Jameson from the uh, Diamondbacks, right? They're like, okay, how do you value those two guys in the same pool? So it is, uh, like you said, some interesting wrinkles. Um, so talking about FYPD, to me, it's it's one of those things. Um, to quote to to quote the show Atlanta, like the the prices on the can though, like it it says it right in the name. It's the first year player draft. So if it's not their first year playing, they probably shouldn't be in that draft. It just it seems very simple to me. Um, now it's easy for me to say because I've never been a commissioner in a league, so I've never had to had the responsibility. So I can I can say it's very simple and easy without having had the actual flack of people being like, but what about this? But what about that? Right. And the dynasty leagues are so open-ended. You can do so many different things with them. And so like, you know, it's like, Oh, like in the leagues I happen to have played in, this is how we've done it. Mm -hmm. But then you get someone else in your league that it's like, Oh, this is the way I've always done it. And you're like, okay, well, like I, I, that makes sense because there's so many different things happening. Right. Um, So yeah, there's like not one, I guess, exact way to do it, but sometimes something new comes up and you're like, oh, I didn't think about doing it like that. Yeah, you know? and and I would say, again, to anybody that's new to Dynasty or new to, um, you know, if you're you're a first-time commissioner, so maybe you've played, but this is your first time actually running a league, be, you know, have definitely have a structure in mind, have a format in mind before you start, because I will say the other end of that spectrum is there's nothing worse than joining a league where the commissioner clearly didn't have anything in mind because then it's just everybody has ideas and now everybody's the commissioner and there's no structure and that's not fun and that league will be abandoned very quickly because Mm -hmm. it's going to be chaos so you don't want it to be that extreme you also don't want to run to the other stream where it's just it's my way it's the only way and there's no like discussion around it because that league um even if it's not abandoned necessarily it probably will not be as active and as vibrant as it could be um because everybody's going to be like you know what's the point it's just going to be what this one person says and like 
whatever. You know, right. it's gonna be it's gonna be one of those leagues that probably gets managed on the back burner, right? It's like mm-hmm. the person, the manager's third or fourth most you know uh, uh, interested league that they'll come to eventually to say, oh yeah, I gotta move some guys around. You're not gonna probably see a lot of trades. You're not gonna see a lot of player movement because um, it just it's not gonna have that sense of uh, community. So you want to try to land somewhere in the middle where you have, hey, this is what I'm kind of thinking of. I want it to be you know 12 team. Uh, 25 man, you know, major league roster with five IL spots and a 10 man, you know, minor league spots. We're going to use fab. Like you want to have some of those basic rundowns It's going to be head to head categories. These are categories. But then if people are like, oh, well, why don't we use, you know, quality starts instead of wins? Why don't we use this uh, format instead of that format? Why don't we do, you know, you want to try to be open to it. And, and talk through why that might work or why you could see, oh, that's going to, you know, if we use this stat, then that's going to overpower, uh, you know, over um, value pitchers, right? So then everybody's going to run at pitchers and then we're devaluing the position players or vice versa. Mm-hmm. So just some things to be in mind when it comes to kind of league settings. And we'll get into that later on uh, in the pod. But just talking about FYPD, again, ideally, I think Jake and I are of the mind that ideally should be first year players. So out of that, most recent MLB draft class, so in this case, the 2022 draft class, and then those international signees. Um, and we we talked about J15 uh, last episode, so you can go back and listen to that if you hadn't heard. Uh, and I would say, yeah, if you're going to have, like, add-ons or addendums, Jake, to your point, if you're throwing in major league free agents or you're doing all prospects, which I've heard in, in Dynasty as well, where it's just like F, their quote-unquote FYPD is really just all minor league um prospects like everybody that's minor league eligible that hasn't made their MLB debut or hasn't exhausted their rookie eligibility that's cool I wouldn't call that an FYPD personally that was just like a player draft a prospect draft right but, like when we were know, um we were debating like how the draft was gonna go um at one point I was like okay but like if we because we've been talking about when are we gonna schedule the FYPD when are we gonna do the FYPD and then we're talking about this I was like wait I was like this isn't an FYPD what we ended up, we just landed on calling it the off-season draft because um, they were like, "Fine, okay." <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, and, and they're like, and "All right, oh yeah, yeah, exactly." And that's that's that goes back to the point about like you don't want to get too stuck around the wheel on certain things. Like if it's the nomenclature, right? It's just okay. We're not going to call it first-year player draft. We're going to call it this other type of draft. Like okay, cool. There's an easy compromise on that. It's just you want to make sure that people understand going in their preparation of of how they should be doing if they're looking at rankings, if they're looking at scouting evals, whatever they're they're using for their preparation, that they're looking at the right stuff and the right, the appropriate amount of stuff, right? It's going to be really hard to try to appropriately evaluate and put value on a ton of major league free agents along with the 2022 draft class, along with figuring out these J15 guys, which like we said before, you're not going to have a lot of video on, you're not going to have a lot of reporting on to begin with. That's a lot to try to do in a couple of months leading into a draft. So you want to be cognizant of that, right? So you want to try to split that time and say, okay, yeah, we're doing all prospects. Anybody who's a prospect, okay, cool. I know I can break that down a certain way myself to look at, you know, what fan graphs and baseball, you know, all the different sources, all the different places, look at video, whatever the case might be. And then I'm just focusing on that. And then, you know, major league stuff or, or whatever is, is in a different bucket. So, um, so yeah, we wanted to kick things off just kind of talking about that with our just recent experiences. Uh, we're also going to again talk about 
uh, a little bit more about Dynasty Startups. If you're looking to start up a league, now's the perfect time. I know Dynasty is getting more and more traction because people are getting more and more invested in something that's a little bit more long-term um, versus redraft leagues. And then adopting abandoned teams, because I think, Jake, you uh, at least have experience. I don't know if this year you were saying you have, but this is my first year trying to adopt a couple of abandoned teams. So I have two very interesting, different experiences about that. Uh but then we also are going to talk about some some more players as well, some more targets for you to look at uh, in your first year player drafts as the drafts are happening now, or you know probably in the next week or so if you guys haven't already you know kicked yours off in your league. Um, but before doing so, we're going to take a quick break, pay the bills, and then we're going to come on back. Okay, and we're back. So, um, like I said, we're going to talk about some targets. So, we mostly talked last episode about first-round guys, right? We talked about the Drew Jones and Cam Colliers and and those uh, type of players. So, I think, um, Jake, looking at the outline here, you want to dig in more on those second- and third-round targets. Um, So, a lot of – in my opinion, I think this draft, especially from the hitting side, provides a lot of good value in those second and third rounds, I like to actually try to double dip. Um, so I talked through what my home league draft looked like, but even in some of these other leagues that I'm in, I try to, like, if I can make a trade and get two second-round picks instead of just having my normal one or even having a couple of third-round picks, I like doing that um, because this draft seems kind of deep. So um, who's the who's the first guy that you kind of want to talk about um, that runs in that sort of maybe – Dep- again, depending on your league size, maybe somewhere between like the number 12, 13, down into like number 30 or so. Who's the first guy on your list, Jake? Yeah, someone I've been looking at more recently, um, specifically for speed, is Jet Williams, um, which is, I mean, fantastic. Enough. Yeah, appropriate name, right? Um, so yeah, he was uh, drafted by the Mets and he got up to, uh, started at the Complex League last year. Um, only 41 plate appearances, but he stole six bases. Um, you know, had a good strikeout rate, took, took some walks. Um, so I think that he has a really good, you know, speed upside. He could be someone who steals a ton of bases, you know, gets on base, has a good contact tool. I'm not expecting a ton of power from him, but, um, you know, it's still definitely early. So he's definitely one I'm looking at um, to start with. Right so there. let me ask about Jack, because I'll, I'll be honest, I, I saw his name and it was normally right around, looking at the middle infield, it was like, Jet, in no particular order, it's like Jet Williams, Zach Neto, um, Brookley, because he plays shortstop in, in college, even though most people think he's going to end up at third at, at the major league level. So it's like Brooksley, um, I'm blinking. There's like one other middle infielder that I'm blinking on that kind of got lumped into that that early bunch. Um, but Williams is probably the, the one that I'm not, I, I did the least amount of research on, I'll, I'll be honest. Um, I just didn't. I just didn't get around to him. So, like, talk me through. Uh, he's a prep prep bet, if um, if memory serves me correct, right? Um, so, so obviously has some youth there, starting in the complex league. What outside of the speed aspect, like, what else are you targeting? Is it just a speed play, or is there like you're thinking about high on base plus speed, or like what what sort of categories do you think he would be contributing to? Um, like as far as his ceiling. Yeah, I think um, I think it's mostly going to be speed and um, I think he can com- 
I think he could contribute both an on-base percentage and batting average um, as it stands right now. Um, you know, coming out of high school and going into uh, even the complex league, I think is a pretty big adjustment. Um, and so, and he, you know, came right off the bat and, uh, and played pretty well. Um, again, it was a super small sample, but, uh, you know, he didn't strike out a ton, didn't swing out of his shoes, um, and he showed good, you know, good swing, good contact, you know, metrics there. So, um, so yeah, I think, like, my primary thing that interests me is the speed. I think he has a 70-grade speed tool on span graphs right now. Um, and so it's like, you know, get him for the speed, especially if you're, you know, on a team that might need it in a few years. Um, and, you know, if you're especially if you're playing Roto, I don't think you could ever have too much like waiting in the waiting in the wings, you know. So and then I think he could, um, you know, definitely contribute uh, there and maybe be a top of the order bat score some runs. Um, I'm not banking on the home runs, but like I said, you never know. I think that would just be a bonus. Do you think just to wrap up on Williams before we move on, do you think, especially with that small sample size and his age, do you think that they repeat him at complex um, ball to start this year? Do you think they give him the bump to low A just to say like, hey, you know, we just wanted to get your feet wet? Because he does have, you, you got here, he has a 122 uh, WRC plus at complex league. So he definitely was above average, which you want to see from your your um, high draft, uh, really from all your prospects, ideally, but definitely from your high draft picks. So do you think that the Mets are like, okay, that was good enough and now we're going to put you on low A, which he'll still, uh, the average age, he still should be, you know, not too young for that level because they still tend to be like late teens, 19, maybe 20 at the low A level um, talent-wise. Uh, so what's your kind of, I don't know if you have uh, more of a, a closer read on um, his assignment and, and where the Mets kind of are, are thinking about putting him to start this year. Yeah, I think um, I, I could definitely see them sending him right to, to low A to start. I think if he does start the complex league, it'll be something like a couple games. Like we see that sometimes where guys like just get your, you know, get your footing, get oriented for a little bit, show the same thing that we saw last year. All right, send him up. We're not going to waste a lot of time, you know. So I think he'll definitely get a chance to move up through a level, you know, um, and could get to high A, I think, by um, by the end of 2022, right? So, or 2023, Um so, yeah, I think he'll definitely you – know, how quick he rises will be something to keep an eye on um, because, yeah, right now coming out of high school, uh, it'll be his age 19 season next year, you know, and so if he can get up into high A, um, maybe get in double A the year after, we're talking about, like, someone who's, uh, you know, rising pretty quickly. So I think he'll get the chance to to go to low A pretty quickly next year, and so we'll see much more from there. Cool. So the next thing uh, is somebody that I've had a lot of interest, uh, interest in – um, and continue to have interest in mostly because of his skill set matched with the farm system that he's going to be in. Uh, and that's Drew Gilbert coming out of Tennessee. Um, so just looking at his stat line, coming out of Tennessee, uh, his draft year had hit 362, had 11 home runs, four stolen bases. So um, that, you know, pretty decent power speed uh, contribution there. And then he starts at uh, complex ball and, and finishes up at low A. So combined, he had 39 plate appearances. So again, small sample, but it's a good start. So 300, 382, 433 is the triple slash, two home runs, six stolen bases. And we all know, even going back to Jet Williams thing, like the stolen bases thing, I know, you know, since 2020 has kind of been um, devalued from the minor league level because of all the different rule changes and, and things of that nature. And we haven't even seen how that is going to bear out at the major league level. Obviously, we're anticipating how that's going to look this year. 
Um, but still, you know, somebody has that ability. You want to see them use it. You rather them. I'd rather see somebody steal a ton of bases and then start to think, okay, that that again, uh, that margin is going to shrink versus not seeing it at all for somebody that is anticipated to be a base dealer and then not seeing them steal bases. That's a little bit more troubling to me. But overall, I think Drew Gilbert, his skill set uh, and ability to play, I would say, all three positions in the outfield, um, going to Houston, being in the Astros system, I've, again, it just it, it seems like something is, is going to bubble up where you can see him in the next couple of years being super high value, super high impact as a prospect. And, and as the Astros are going to look to keep being contenders and like keeping that window open, so to speak, and having that original crew. Um, obviously, we see you know Correa is already gone. That original crew uh, either aging and or leaving, and how can they kind of turn over without it being that full rebuild? Right, I think it's a uh, you know not we, we reload, we don't rebuild. How do they get into that mindset? I think Drew Gilbert uh, presents like a key asset if you will to that process um jake what are you saying from gilbert yeah i think specifically with the stolen bases what i really love to see is that um it was an uptick in attempts right so he attempted six stolen bases in his whole junior season at tennessee uh, was successful four times and then he came to to um, the complex league in, in low a and attempted six or attempted seven stolen bases and was successful six times. And that was only in 39 plate appearances. So, um, you know, yeah, like you said, like stolen bases don't mean as much, but I do love to see that he's running more often because he does have good speed. He just didn't really use it at Tennessee on the base paths. Um, and so now it feels like either he really wants to go or someone's telling him to go. Um, and that hopefully will be something he continues to work on because, um, you know, he has a really good, uh, really good hit tool. Um, you know, he had 11 home runs. So, you know, it's like not like he's really showed out in power in college. And um, I think we'll see. We'll still have yet to see how that will develop. But um, if you compare the good hit tool with some good, you know, stolen base skills, that at least gives you more of a baseline as far as like different categories he can contribute to. Um, and then let the Astros do the rest, right? If they can unlock some more power, if they can get him to, you know, hit the ball near the pull side a little bit, uh, take advantage of that porch out in uh, Minute Maid and, um, you know, so I think that he could definitely start shooting up boards pretty quickly. Yeah, I think for me, and again, uh, especially because I got hammered on on doing this on, on Twitter from my most recent article. Let me see if I can articulate this better than I than I did there. A player who um, has similar skills. Let me put it that way. A player who has similar skills, who is also on the Houston Astros and is also an outfielder, is Kyle Tucker. Not saying it's a one-to-one comparison, but all I'm saying is the ability to do a little bit of everything, um, but specifically having the plate discipline to drive up the on-base percentage. So if you play in the OBP league, like the value there goes through the roof with Kyle Tucker. I could see, like you said, Houston kind of doing their thing, their, their Astros magic, if you will, to have a, a person where Gilbert may never be a 30 home run hitter, but he can get you in that 20 to 25 range consistently. And then he's going to be somewhere to, in the middle of a pretty good lineup. So the runs and RBIs, the, the run environment is always going to be there. And he has good plate discipline. So he's going to be able to get you 
you know, 330 or better in the OBP. So it's going to be a look, you know, that four or five category guy where he's never a league leader. He may never even actually be an MVP type, but he's somebody that you're going to want on your team as a core member, like consistently, because he's going to help drive your offensive categories. Um, or, you know, if you're in Roto, it's going to help, you know, drive up that value. If you're in points, he's going to be somebody that's going to be high average on points because he can cherry pick from so many different places. Um, so if you have the proper um, point values on those places, then, again, there's there's going to be uh, joy to be had. So um, I'm interested to see more from Drew Gilbert this year, especially similarly, especially because he's a college bat. So typically with college bats, you know, complex league is like they're typically well ahead of that talent level. They're older and they're more experienced. Um, so it's really like low A, high A. I'm really interested to see him at low A and see how quickly he can get into high A if he can get um, even just a handful of bats to finish out his season this year and how he'll look. Uh, but yeah, Drew Gilbert is definitely that second round, again, depending on the size of your league, late first round. Um, type of pick that you you should have highlighted and circled to to be going after uh next on the list we have Cade Horton now this may just be me and I'm I say this all the time I'm still very green when it comes to evaluating um pitching overall still very green when it comes to evaluating amateur pitching so I could I could get like there could be many people yelling at their phones or whatever you're using to listen to this podcast when I say this, but I had Horton as the number one pitcher when I was kind of looking at my draft prep and my pitcher bucket. I had him over Lesko and, and, and the rest. I had him number one, even with the Tommy John. I mean, the Tommy John happened to so many so many pitchers. It was kind of like that kind of just level with the playing field in of itself. It's like a rite um, of passage. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So um, so that's that's how I looked at Horton. Uh, you know, he pitched for, he did come back from the Tommy John, which not, you know, not all of his peers, um, because when they had the surgery, had that uh, ability. So he did come back and pitch for Oklahoma, um, in March and then pitched in the college world series, uh, had the 13 strikeouts, uh, in the title game against Ole Miss, um, didn't pitch uh, in in the minors after getting drafted by the Cubs org, which isn't a big surprise. Even the Tommy John, uh, to the side that tends to happen with a lot of pitchers um, just because especially a lot of the college pitchers because of um, how many innings they already have kind of on their arm most most teams are just like hey just cool it <laughs> get familiar with uh, you know our training program etc but we'll see the innings this year so with all that being said um, I again I didn't go after Horton even though I had him ranked so high just because I was targeting in, in my home league at least I was targeting more hitters up front and then pitchers to the back especially seeing how the draft broke down um i did get him the the start the league that i'm in now that i have these double drafts going um i did pick him up in that league because he was there and it's a smaller um fypd draft that one is only five rounds so i was like well why not um <laughs> he's right there he's gonna fall into my lap but uh kate horton is, is he somebody that you're going after jake or how are you feeling about him what can we expect um, from him kind of floor and ceiling wise. Yeah, I think um, he was electric in the College World Series. Um, I watched a little bit of his starts, and um, it was really fun to watch him pitch. And it was nice to see him 
recover from originally coming back and getting blown up pretty bad, like in like the regular towards the end of the regular season. Um, his you know his ERA was is really bad for a while there, and then um, I didn't see the full details on this, but he developed a new pitch. I forgot to go check out which pitch that was. I just saw it offhand, but he like you know made some tweaks you know after he came back, and then to finish the regular season did really well, and then when he got to the postseason he was like lights out, um, you know, which like you love to see in the college world series guys step up like that. Um, so, you know, going against like the best competition, um, like you said, he killed it against Ole Miss. So, um, you know, it's just like now it's, what do we see at professional baseball? Right. You know, we saw the fastball that can touch 98, um, you know, sits, sits a little lower, sits probably 94, 95, you know, see, I mean, that's always something good to start with. Um, and you know, how's he, how is he going to go from there? You know, if you're just going off of stuff, if you're going off of, um, you know, grit and excitement, he is uh, really fun to watch and you could see him, you know, project into a, a good, you know, intense pitcher. Um, you know, I think there might be some reliever risk. You never know with Tommy John, you know, maybe his stuff plays better in short stints. Um, but I don't think the Cubs, that's something that they're really focusing on right now. They took him seventh overall. Um, you know, he was, I think MLB pipeline had him as the 24th overall prospect. So they saved some money with his signing bonus. And, um, yeah, I don't, I, it's not someone I'm necessarily like targeting. I think I like a few other pitchers better, but, um, you know, if he falls to maybe like the beginning of the third or late second and, um, you know, or even if he falls in like a dynasty startup, you know, um, like I'm in one right now and we're in round 31 and he's still available. Maybe I start, if he's still there in two or three rounds, I'll probably start looking at him. So, um, you know, I would not be upset to have him on my team at all. Um, I just like really looking forward to see what he can do, um, you know, in professional ball. So you were saying that, um, you still weren't necessarily targeting him kind of, again, I, I guess kind of something to myself where it's like, if he falls into your lap, you're not going to say no. Right. But he's not necessarily the guy that you're going after. What is kind of, what is maybe holding you back? And and again, I said, I had him as the, the best pitcher overall. Um, when I was just trying to put together some sort of, of listing and rankings for my own personal prep, what about yourself? Did you have him that high? Did you like, who, who did you have maybe above him? If you're looking at some other pitchers, yeah, I think um, I think originally I had Lesko up there because um, like if I if I want maybe more upside from like it's riskier to take a high school pitcher, right? Um, but maybe if you're looking for more upside, like he's probably the way to go. Um, like in the draft um, that I was prepping for, like I don't need someone who's going to be there quickly. I can kind of like wait a few years and see how he pans out, right? So like looking at that point, like okay, like who has more upside, who could really kind of um, develop in a few years and break out, you know? So I was looking at Lesko originally, and then I started looking at Cooper Jerby and fell in love with him. So I think um, he kind of moved up ahead of Kate Horton for me um, as I started looking into it. So um, I think I would still, it's a toss up kind of between Lesko and Jerby, but, um, you know, depending on how the draft goes, um, I think Jerby's kind of my, my favorite um, pick. And, and Horton is, is right. I think behind those two for me, um, you know, I like really like you know, really liked how he pitched, um, you know, in college and, you know, Jerpy is similar. He's a college pitcher, um, you know, that had the injury. I, did he have Chami John too? I'm forgetting now. 
Jerpy. The Jerpy, I, I believe he was one of the few that did not. That did not. Okay. I don't know what I was thinking about then. But, um, but yeah, so, you know, similar as a college pitcher. And so it's, you know, interesting to see how those guys kind of play out. And like they could get there quicker, but, um, you know, they might not have the upside of some of these like young prep arms who are like fireballing and, um, still growing and, and developing with a, with a major league organization, you know? Um, so yeah, I think that's where I'm at. Okay. Uh, so a couple more names on the list here as we move on. Um, so we got, we have two hitters. I'm going to kind of pair them together, uh, just for the sake of time. So we can continue to, to move into, um, a, a couple other subject matter, uh, a couple other areas of subject that I want to cover. Um, so we got Jacob Barry, we got Jace Young. Um, I want to take Jace Young first. I'm actually going to flip how it is in the outline. So obviously we got familiar with his brother, Josh, who like just wrecked shop as a prospect. Then he got hurt and he had to wait. Um, and then finally he, he got his chance uh, late last year with the Rangers to, to start making the major league debut. I quite honestly, I still am on him for, potential rookie of the year i know everybody's on Gunnar henderson i'm an Orioles fan I, if that happens i'm not going to be mad i just think josh young counting stats wise i think will be better than Gunnar henderson's in my personal opinion i do think average wise and like obp like that triple slash those those rates Gunnar henderson probably outperforms but i think when it just comes to the counting stats which rightly or wrongly tend to drive a lot of the Rookie of the Year and a lot of the awards voting when it comes to that, especially for Rookie of the Year. Um, that's just my personal opinion, but that's you know a whole nother whole nother podcast, really. So we got Josh's younger brother, Jace, um, who was able to accumulate 134 plate appearances at high A, um, getting drafted by the Tigers, put up a 106 WRC plus, so uh, above but not too much above league average. Um, but again, it's high A. That's that's pretty advanced considering. Um, home run, stolen base, triple slash was 231, 373, 333. So rare that you see the slugging that's lower than the on base. That's always interesting. Um, but the, the K and, and walk rate, you know, was actually almost even. So he's, he's able to draw a good number of walks with, with young first, what exactly is the, is that floor and that ceiling for him? Like what is his, 90th percentile outcome in your opinion jake because i'm still even myself trying to get a good beat on like who is this potential player like what what could he eventually become yeah i'm trying to think i'm trying to think of i don't have a good comp off the top of my head um you know it's tough because he um you know, I think is starting with Comerica Field is potentially the home park, right? And so they, they did move in the fences a bit this offseason, but it's still an absolute pitcher's park. And the Tigers also have shown a horrible job at uh, player development. They've tried to rebuild a couple different times recently, and they have one of the worst farm systems in baseball still. Um, so that's just that organization. The park is terrifying. But so Heath is going to come after you for saying that. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking, Trevor. I'm joking. Everything. Um, you know, and it's, I, it's, yeah, it's unfortunate, but I think that's kind of where we're at until they prove us wrong, right? Um, you know, so that's, I think, that where we got to start. But just looking at his profile, he's someone who um, gets on base really well. Looks like he has a good feel of the strike zone. Um, probably doesn't have as much power as his brother, um, but kind of makes up for it in a hit tool. 
Um, he doesn't have a lot of speed, which you'd like to see from a middle infielder, ideally. Um, you know, I think maybe his floor is someone like Santiago Espinal. Um, you know, kind of doesn't have a ton of speed, doesn't have a lot of pop, but like, um, you know, plays good defense, can play a couple different positions on the infield, and, um, you know, has a solid batting average floor, you know. Um, as far as the upside, uh, no one's coming to mind, but I think maybe he could hit like 270. Um, I'd be kind of shocked if he gets into like a 15 homer range. I think kind of it's more like 10 to 15. Um, anything above st- five stolen bases is good. So it's kind of hard to project, I think, right now. But, um, you know, he was great at Texas Tech, I think was where him and both both him and his brother went. Um, you know, he has, you know, his brother is, is fantastic. And I think that he, you know, can still grow into some power, um, that he just hasn't shown yet. Right. So, um, I think projecting the 90th percentile is a little tougher, but I definitely see how he's just like a dependable middle infielder with solid contact skills, um, at the least. Yeah. So I I think that that is, that is helpful. Um, thinking about him debuting at high A, um, and, and looking at that 106 WRC plus to me, then it actually draws my eyeball to see what they like, how he performs at high A again this year. Cause I don't see a reason why they would bump him up automatically. So I think at least to start the, the, the minor league season, he's back at high A and um, also knowing that like the Tigers farm system, the run environments are not all like, kind of kind of similar to Comerica like the 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 run environments at the high A level aren't all like that great either for hitters um low A is Lakeland and and I think the Florida Complex League is kind of known to be more of a pitcher league uh I'm totally spacing on who um low and high A are I, I always get it confused I think West Michigan is high A sorry if I'm if I'm butchering that but the the point stands is just he's going to be playing in, in quite a few stadiums that just in the league that aren't going to necessarily help that power aspect in of itself. So it would be interesting to see if there are some mechanical developments or just added strength that will help him drive the ball um, more. Uh, I actually wanted to see if I could very quickly, um, we'll see how quickly if I could find any numbers on his um, like hard hit or EV now that I know where to go to for that. Hat tip to the person that helped me out with that. Um, let me see. This is great podcasting with all the radio silence here. But let's see if we can quickly find this information. Um, because in and just to talk through while I am searching for it, uh, if there are you know decent um, EVs or at least hard hit data, then you know. I, I don't mind a guy, maybe the homer total is low, but he sprays a lot of doubles around, right? If he's a 20, 25 double type of hitter, even if it is, you know, low, you know, that, that you were saying 10, maybe maybe 12, you know, his best year might be 15. That can still be helpful, especially if you're in a total base, base league, which is one of my leagues that I'm in. Having a guy that hits a lot of doubles is still very helpful, right? right. Homers maybe, are better, but doubles are very helpful. Maybe he's more similar to like a Gene Segura, um, 
at second base. Maybe that's the 90th percentile. Um, you know, 10 to 12 homers, 10 to 12 steals, maybe, um, you know, with solid contact skills. Um, yeah, I think that's that could be reasonable for him. Um, and that's absolutely valuable, um, especially in deeper leagues. And if, like, there's not a ton of competition in the organization. Um, and so if he can carve himself out a role and, you know, play, I think playing time will be huge for his fantasy value. Uh, if he gets consistent playing time, he'll accrue enough counting stats um, and he might be able to get to, you know, double digit steals and homers and, you know, a good batting average. Uh, and that becomes really valuable. Um, and of course I can't find what I was looking for. So that was, uh, that was uh, a very like big waste of everybody's time. Sorry about that. Thought I could find that information and I can't, at least not quickly enough. So anyways, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, Jacob Barry is another one. Now in my draft, uh, in, in the home league draft, it was like everybody was allergic to Jacob Bear. I think he went deep in the third round, maybe the fourth. Uh, in the league that I'm in now, he's drafted a little bit higher, but again, smaller, um, less less uh, number of rounds, only five rounds. So I think some people may have been cherry picking um, some some different names versus going super deep. And also, it's a smaller league. So my home league is 20 teams. This league that I'm drafting in right now is 14 teams. So that also changes the arithmetic as well. Um, Barry obviously was was well known in college for power. Also, you know, uh, he he had left, you know, what was it? Left Arizona, went to LSU, um, following uh, uh, his his coach. Um, I think the one thing that scares a lot of people off, and I was talking to uh, somebody in my uh, one of the managers in my league about this too is just the lack of knowing where he's going to play and just seeming like he's a permanent DH is not really ideal for prospecting because you can always find that there's always going to be guys that are just DHs like you don't need to seek them out but with that being said um you know his his numbers when you look at him aren't awful to start his pro career he started at low A 148 plate appearances put up 118 WRC plus that's again, it's above league average. It's okay. Um, three home runs, stolen base, uh, 264 bad average, 358 OBP, 392 uh, slugging. So, you know, that's, uh, you know, could stand to be a little bit higher, especially from somebody that's supposed to be kind of a middle order bat. Uh, walk in strikeouts, 15.5 K uh, rate, 8.8% walk rate. I think with, with Barry, for me, uh, and I, I definitely want to hear your thoughts, Jake. But like, for me, I would need to see him like catch fire very quickly uh, at the minor league level for him to grab my attention. I think looking at that WRC plus again, and not saying that that's the only number to pay attention to, but just as an indicator, when you look at somebody who is um, that experienced, right, playing in the SEC, which you know, is if not the best, one of the best conferences um, in college baseball. So seeing that level of talent that he had to face, which is part of the reason why he transferred there, right, is 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 to show up in that space. His age, and then looking at what he did at low A, um, you almost kind of wanted to see that WRC plus be a bit higher to see him kind of mash a little bit more. And and I don't even necessarily mean from a home run, like from a counting stat standpoint, but just to be. 
um, somebody that is clearly ahead of that competition level. And I don't know that he necessarily showed that um, where like far and away. So this year, like for instance, I don't know that they're necessarily going to move him up to high A to start this year. I could see him again, having a few at bats at low A again, just to kind of, you know, double check some things before they start uh, passing through the system. So with Barry, what, you have him here. We're, we're talking about second and, and third round picks. You have him here uh, in the mix. He's not somebody that I'll be going after in the second or third round. But what is maybe appealing or what am I maybe missing about Barry that would have you targeting him in those spaces? Um, so I think uh, I'll correct myself here. It's not exactly a target, but he's someone that I think is very volatile in these drafts that I think it'd be okay. that, that's good to like just talk about here. Um because, you know, he was a sixth overall pick and he's someone who I think can like was originally maybe supposed to go in like the first round of FYPDs. Now everyone seems to be off of him. Everyone's going, what were the Marlins doing with this pick? Um, doesn't make any sense. And so now he's kind of falling a little bit. Right. And it's like, at what point does it become valuable? Um, and I think for me, I want him to like commit or to something, or like show a specific skill that's going to be above average, right? Because right now it's just like, all right, across the board, you know? Um, and if he's doesn't really have a position defensively, then he needs to, like, some part of his hitting profile has to be, like, the, like, a well above average, right? So, you know, if it's power, like, we want to see him start hitting for power. He had a 128 ISO in 148 plate appearances at low A, you know? Um, that's not going to get it done. Um, and he's like, he's a college bat. So like in theory, he's supposed to go through the system a little quicker, um, especially for a first round pick. You'd like to see him in the majors and, um, you know, maybe two years, you know? So like, that, like what we're talking about with, you know, other college bats that are advanced, like Zach Neto and, um, Brooks Lee, right? Like those are guys that are going to be moving quickly pretty through. And so you're looking at Jacob Berry and it's like, I don't see how it goes as quickly, you know? And I feel like he needs to commit to either selling out for power uh, becoming a middle of the order power bat, or you know, an on bite an on base percentage guy, um, you know, batting average like something needs to stand out. I think for me, um, there has to be a category that I can like depend on. Um, you know, whether it's home runs or batting average, or um, you know, doesn't look like he's going to have much in steals. It'll probably just be a chip in here and there. So um, you know, and if he gets those iconic stats, he'll need to hit in the middle of the order. And I don't see how that happens right now for the Marlins in the next few years. So I think he needs to kind of like, um, you know, show a little bit more, but then, like I said, like what, at one point does it become like a value pick? I think um, the Marlins saw something in him, right? So if he slips into the third and you've missed out on the projectable college bats that are going to make it pretty quick, I think he's a solid backup a solid consolation, you know? Um, and, you know, he's not, the book is not closed on him. He could still make some strides um, and kind of, you know, prove his, his first round value there. So um, I think it's nice that he's slipping out of the first and becoming, you know, more uh, palatable, I think in, in the second and third round, but uh, not targeting him for sure. Okay. I appreciate you correcting me. Um, <laughs> let me ask you this. I'm going to go off script for a little bit, but two guys that um, both are out of, the same draft class so and they're kind of connected because of their hitter profile they're kind of connected at least in my mind so jacob barry ivan melendez if you're choosing who are you choosing as as your your draft pick 
Oh man, that's tough. See, because I like I like I like Melendez more, but that's it's like is that is that warranted? Is that valid? Because like of just the incredibly different draft stock, um, and it's like do I I think I like Melendez more at his current value, right? Which is pretty deep in FYPDs. I don't like Jacob Berry as much as a second round value. I probably still prefer Melendez in the fifth to uh, Berry in the third, you know? Um, but if I feel like if I had a pick in the third and I was looking for a college bat, I'd probably take Berry and hope I could get Melendez later, you know? But as far as who I like more, I would say Melendez, especially with where he's going in FYPDs um, because he has that thing that he brings. He has He's a power bat. We know that. Um, I'm not expecting him to start spraying the ball all over the field and hit 280, 290. Like, if I want Melendez, I want power. Um, and it's pretty cheap power, and it could develop into a solid hitter. Hopefully on base percentage, you know, comes and kind of makes up for the contact skills that might not be there, you know? So it's like, he has that thing. He's the power guy. So I like his value better, but I'd probably take Barry earlier. So if I'm hearing you correctly, there's, and I think this is actually very valuable when you, when you're thinking about um, not just drafting, but just kind of adding players overall, whether it be prospects or even at the major league level. There's a certain. It sounds like what you're saying, Jake, is like there's a certain threshold where it's it's the idea of like jack of all trades, master of none, right? So it's kind of like there's an aspect where you can have a guy who is a multi-category contributor even if they don't have a super strong skill set in one. And we talked about that much earlier with Drew Gilbert, right? He can kind of give you a goodness in more than one spot, right? Some home runs, some stolen bases, some average, some OBP, even if he's not going to be a league leader, league leader in just one of those places. Um, but then you kind of hit, hit a middle ground, and I think that's what you were talking through with Jace Young, where it's like, okay, he can do some of these things, but not necessarily above average. He's kind of closer to being an average player. But again, he can do a little bit of everything at an average rate. And it sounds like Jacob Berry is, is in a similar vein too. And so you have to start looking at, do I want that guy that's maybe closer to being league average, but technically able to contribute across the board? Or do I rather go in for a Melendez or you know, if you think about uh, Nelson Cruz circa, you know, 2018 or so, you know, a few years ago, where it's like, I'm going in exactly what you said. I'm going in because I need this person to hit home runs for me because I'm lacking power. I have enough around to make up for, you know, strikeouts or the low OBP or like whatever the other skill set deficiencies are. Um so it just sounds like that that's something to be mindful of is where's your threshold, right? Individually knowing where your threshold is of I'd rather have the guy who has one above average tool that I can go after and I know like if he's showing that, then I'm good. And if he's not, then I can get rid of him. And that's a person that if he's a prospect, I can, you know, draft later in FYPD or have a, a ad at the bottom of my farm system. Or do I want the guy that can kind of do a little bit of everything and maybe that's good enough to float him, right? So I think about the name that keeps coming to my mind is Adam Frazier. And it's like Adam Frazier at the major league level, like, yeah, he led the league in hits that one year, like, okay, whatever. 
but he keeps getting passed from team to team in part because all the teams are like, well, he's an okay second baseman. He has some experience in left field defensively, so we can stick him out there. And he's not a net negative, right? There's nothing that he does poorly. It's just not a lot he does above average. And we're okay with that for whatever reason, right? The Padres were okay with that. Mariners, obviously. The Orioles, for whatever reason, were okay with that. Like, you know, so there's guys that are like that at the major league level in real life. There's guys like that in fantasy as well. It's really just a matter of knowing your threshold for do you want to go after those players? How many of those players do you want to roster? Because you don't want to have a bunch of them. And, and how much, like, how high are these prospects ranked, right? Are you talking about a top prospect in an FYPD? If you're talking about a first or a second round pick, you want to be pretty sure about what you can expect out of them, right? Um, but if you're taking a shot in deeper, um, you know, deeper uh, drafts or like a startup draft or something like that, like, you know, it's not as important. You just want to see like some projectability, you know, something to kind of build off of. But, um, you know, with these, when you're talking about a pretty high ranked prospect, you know, or someone coming in in an FYPD, I think it's a little bit more important there. Yeah. Yeah. So last name that we have as far as talking about targets before we switch gears is Brandon Barrera. Uh, Barrero's uh, lefty coming out of prep ball, drafted number 23 overall to the Blue Jays. Um, another pitcher, and again, not not um, uncommon, but another pitcher that didn't pitch at the pro level for the Blue Jays. Um, you have a note here, Jake, that the Blue Jays liked his swagger. Um, so talk to us about Barrera, what you're kind of seeing about him, um, and what you what you think about him where he's going in, in FYPDs and, and, you know, what we can kind of anticipate. Yeah, I think he's his confidence is through the roof. Uh, you know, he's a high school kid. He, he of course, got on the mic and he said that the, you know, the 22 teams in front of him are going to regret it, you know. Um, I think that's the kind of swagger we're talking about. We're talking about good mound presence, um, you know, good confidence, you know, good mental mental strength there. Um, and so it's like we haven't, we haven't seen a lot from him, right? The, the scouts say he has really good stuff. He has a great fastball. Um, and so I think if, you know, it's, if, if you've, you know, missed out on those top few pitchers, um, this is still a a first round guy. He's a prep pitcher. Um, and he has a lot of places to go with his, with his stuff right now, you know? So, um, there's not a whole lot of like a whole lot of film on him that I've seen. There's not, I can't, you know, um, give up like a for sure projection on him. but if you're just like looking to take a shot, um, and someone that like the organization likes that is very confident and um you know i think we need to i think wait to really see what he's gonna do in uh professional ball because he didn't pitch for the jays in 2022 um but you know he's someone that i would be happy with taking in um you know maybe like the third if i like really need a pitcher okay what so what for you is the differential between thinking about high school pitchers specifically what for you is the differential between um lesko who again is kind of in that group of three that we sort of talked about maybe four if you're adding um yerky but like lesko horton um what's the difference between like that high school pitcher and barrera who seems to be slotting in barrera seems to be slotting in kind of like that next that like right right underneath like that very next tier um but what's the sort of differential with there both lefties in the case of let's go both lefties both out of high school is it just a matter of um 
performance and stuff at at that level or is there something that maybe the Jays found um you know a hidden gem and it's just that he doesn't have the name brand that Lesko was able to build or what do you think there yeah I think um in this in this kind of situation where you're comparing high school players I think you kind of have to rely on what the scouts are saying you know um and so I think with Lesko I think it's more of a confidence in the repertoire and um you know the command and then Barrera oh gosh Barrera is more of a stuff play um and so it's just like I you know it's it's hard to tell when they're so young um you kind of have to rely on what the teams are saying about them what the scouts are saying about them and um and go from there and so you know it's hard to you know with these guys are so young and with the injury risk you know sometimes it's like oh like this is a fireballing high school that's so exciting um maybe he's more susceptible to you know to an arm injury you know so it's so hard to avoid now like we kind of mentioned earlier it's almost like a rite of passage and so if you're willing to take on more injury risk you know if you don't need impact as soon as you know as possible from your pitching staff then um take a shot on the best available high school guy um you know if you want the high upside stuff if you want someone who's shown more command um i don't super like the stats in high school are what they are like the competition is so like we're talking about the minor leagues being uh you know being variable like you can't really rely on much in high school it's just like what do the scouts say about his makeup his stuff his projectability um so yeah it's it's kind of tough to differentiate sometimes for with those high schoolers so um that that's a look as far as um again kind of strict fypd targets for second and third round or, or at least where um we're seeing a lot of these players going second and third round in the case of um jacob berry we do want to um switch gears just a little bit and talk about some prospects that may pop up again if your league is doing a sort of all prospect draft this offseason so anybody who's not currently um on a on the team's uh roster in your league any uh available prospect that can be drafted here are some names that you might want to know and uh might be going a little bit later again rounds three to five so we're going to start off uh with san francisco san francisco's uh prospect casey schmidt um schmidt ran through the minor leagues like very quickly last year um promoted through three levels got uh, finished the year at triple a with 16 um played appearances then the thing that you'll see about Schmidt was his calling card was and continues in, in many ways to be his glove. He's able to play shortstop, but also uh, played a lot of third last year as well and looked tremendous, made some tremendous plays in the field and just looks really good. Uh, a lot of scouts like his ability on the left side of the infield, whether it be short or um, at third, he has the arm, he has really good range, good footwork. Um, but suddenly his bat was starting to take over as well. And, and that is really what caught people's attention in 2022. So um, just from a WRC um, plus side at um, high A, it was 132. At uh, double A, it was 144. And that's over 100 plate appearances at uh, both. It's uh, almost 400 plate appearances at high A and um, 127 plate appearances at double A. So, he is starting to look very attractive. Um, the strikeout rate starts to stabilize a bit um, around 22, 22.5%. Walk rate 
did start to fall as he was going up levels, um, which is interesting to watch, uh, especially because it falls almost in half, eleven uh, percent to four point seven. The ISO comes down a little bit um, from two hundred one to one seventy five. So some some things just to kind of keep an eye out uh, for. Um, and I see you have a note here, Jake, about his batting average uh, being really influenced by the high BABIP at the AA level. So that's always something to keep an eye on. But I think overall, the defense is is what is the standout. And I think that's what um, you have a note here. That's really what is driving a lot of the, the grading on things like Fangraph. Um, obviously, we know Brandon Crawford is continuing to age. Uh, we know that uh, Longorio has left the Giants. So that third base spot and that left side of the infield spot with, with shortstop as well, there's some availability, like there's some openness. I know people are going to be thinking like, yeah, but what about uh, Marco Luciano? Uh, again, you know, Luciano is still, you know, we haven't seen him at double A yet. He's still coming back from the back injury. He's still building his way up. Again, the, the conversation around Luciano is a, really its own podcast. But that still seems to be more long-term. Schmidt is, is right here. He's knocking on the doorstep. Uh, and I think he can make – I'll be interested to see him in spring training because I think he can make the roster, um, make the 26-man going up to San Francisco just off the defense and hitting well enough. And then if there's anything added there, you really need to start to pay attention to, to adding Casey Schmidt uh, to your lineup because – or to your roster, I should say, because – um, it, the Giants, you know, they just find these guys that are maybe not great, but they're good enough. They're contributors. I mean, I had uh, Tyro Estrada last year, and like he's no, he's not setting the league on fire, but he gave you double digits and home runs and strikeouts and played three positions. Like, I mean, uh, he gave you double digits and home runs and stolen bases. I mean, and plays three positions. So like, that's that's valuable. <laughs> like, you know, that's a guy that is bringing value either to a team that is contending or, in my case, I was able to put him as part of a trade to get better prospects back. So, you know, Schmidt is kind of cut of the, the same sort of cloth where um, he may not be a barn burner, but he's a guy that should be able to drive some good value. Jake, what are your thoughts on Schmidt? Yeah, I mean, you really said it there. Um, you know, it's someone who has kind of been known for his glove for a while and then the bat woke up. And so, you know, we, you know, when you talk about the little drop-offs that happened after he got the double A, it's like, I mean, that makes sense. You know, he, it was 127 plate appearances and, um, you know, he was making the adjustment from high A to double A, which is like, I think considered one of the hardest jumps to do. Um, and so, and, but he still put up a, he increased his weighted one runs created plus, um, even though he kind of fell off in those other, other categories there. Um, I get mostly because of like the huge Babbitt, you know, his average spiked. And um, so I think that we're looking at a really well-rounded hitter. Um, and we just talked about how, right, like, you know, we want to see these guys come forward in some sort of statistical category. Where are you going to help me in fantasy? Um, he's someone who does it well across the board. And I'm not super upset about it because his value is so good. He is such a deep league prospect, right? Like he's not owned very widely in 12 team leagues. And he's probably around like 150 to 200 in a lot of prospect lists right now. Um, and so it's like someone who has a very clear shot at playing time in the major leagues soon. Um, that's like exciting enough, right? And the fact that he has an incredible glove that could warrant some playing time. So 
Um, yeah, I, I see him slotting in as the third baseman, I think, by the end of this season because, you know, you have like J.D. Davis right now and David VR are like the two, um, you know, biggest uh, competition there. Um, but like J.D. Davis is like we've been waiting for him. Like he hits the ball so hard, but like he hasn't really put it together for a full season. Um, he's mostly a platoon bat, you know, the last couple of years. Um, hasn't really been given just like a let off, you know, he hasn't been really been let off leash, you know? So it's like, he's getting older. I'm not like really holding out hope for him. And, um, VR, I think features more as a first baseman long-term for me. Um, and so I think that third base spot is, is available. I think, um, my bold prediction would be that he takes that role by the end of the season. Um, you know, it might take a little bit to like really grab a hold of it, but I think that he'll get some at bats early on. Probably even if he doesn't make the opening roster, he can get called up uh, pretty quickly. So he also, he did make it to triple a last year. Um, so, you know, he went to double a, um, you know, still was a pretty good hitter. And then they put him up to triple a for looks like four games. He was at triple a. So they want to get him up. You know, they promoted him across three levels. Um, I think he's the next man up for them and he could definitely play his way into some playing time. Um, this season again just because of that glove is so good like go look up his his highlight highlight reel at the emeralds last year oh it's fantastic yeah yeah and i think um just a note about vr because i had a similar conversation with somebody um uh, uh, online uh talking about vr at third i think vr as a hitter is actually you know cut from a similar cloth he he tore it up um in the giant system in 2021 and finally got his break in in the later part of 2022 and, and look, you know, pretty good at the major league level. Uh, I think defensively though, Schmidt is the best of those three. Um, Davis, Absolutely. VR and, and himself. And I think that's, what's going to kind of push him to stick more on the left side. I think VR also got some time in the corners um, left and right field. And I think that's probably where he ends up uh, more permanently for, in, in my opinion, I think that's where he ends up more permanently for the giants. Um, even even over first base, I think he's athletic enough that they can put him out in the outfield versus um, first. But ultimately, yeah, I think it'll be interesting to watch that space because um, Davis is going to drive your OBP, right? Even if he doesn't contribute much else, his OBP has is, is always been, you know, rather high when he's healthy. And that's always the, the question, you know, there is, is how healthy is he going to be? But when he is healthy, you know, he helps drive the, the OBP, if nothing else. Um, and then you have VR, like I said, who's still, you know, getting his feet wet at the major league level. And then Schmidt's right on um, the coattail. So the third base spot will be interesting to watch um, for the Giants in spring training. That's one of those position battles that I, I kind of have circled. Um, and I think you should as well from a dynasty and I would say even a redraft um, standpoint if you're a redrafter uh, listening to us um, moving on we got a couple more names and one guy that I, I'll be honest I'm, I'm really kind of kicking myself for not being on uh, and I don't know how he just kind of flew past my radar until it was too late and everybody was talking about him and he was already gone and that's Edgar Edgar uh, Caro for the Angels he had an outstanding uh campaign for low a he was one of my 20 under 20 uh that i wrote for pitcher list just recently um he's a catcher he showed some stolen base capability some power i mean again we keep talking about categories and, and where people are contributing he's somebody that already as a teenager 
is showing a quick ability to be able to hit the ball well, hit the ball hard. Um, yeah, I, I mean, you can read my thoughts on on Caro. Like I said in the article, Jake, talk to us about what you're seeing from this guy. Yeah, I um, I think he's kind of like in that last tier of catching prospects that I want to invest in. After that, um, I think it's like him and Dalton Rushing are kind of in like the low 100s in most rankings. And then after that, it gets a little dicey, right? So, um, you know, like I'm actually, I'm doing a dynasty startup right now and I just drafted uh, Caro in the 30th round, just after pick 400 overall. Um, and he was like, you know, all the other catching prospects that I was looking at were gone. Um, and so like I, um, yeah, I love him as a back end catching prospect that has uh, a ton of projectable upside um, in 525 plate appearances at low A last year. He really broke out, um, you know, first full season that he was able to put in in professional ball. Uh, he hit 308 uh, with a 434 on base and a 523 slugging, uh, 12 stolen bases, 17 home runs. Uh, he was caught five times stealing bases, but as a catcher, like 17 attempts uh, at all is like pretty great. Um, you know, double digit, double digit steals. Um, you know, I think that's just a fun thing to see uh, anytime. You know, so uh, yeah, I really like Quero and or Caro, and he his weighted runs created plus was 150 in in low A. Uh, so I can't wait for him to get uh, to get a shot at high A and hopefully double A this year. Um, and then I think he'll be someone that could like really rock it up up boards um, if he gets to double A and, and keeps producing because um, he could get on he can get to the roster pretty quickly. I think if we're looking at like late twenty four, early twenty five. Uh, want a high upside kind of late round sleeper pick at catcher? Uh, he's definitely a great option. Yeah, I think it's interesting that now the Angels have two really interesting catchers, Logan O. Um, it's it's not actually hot. I don't think. I think it's actually cool for Logan. Oh, I, I should have looked that up before I started saying it out of my mouth. But we'll, we're going to go with Hop just because that's what it is fanatically. Um, but having him at the high, high minors and, and kind of knocking on the doorstep for the major league spot and then having uh, Caro, I wonder, um, you know, if a different team, a different organization – that has maybe better focus would look at, you know, is, is there a trade to be made there um, to, to get value? The angels, you know, aren't, have not shown to be that type of team, um, which I think also hurts their prospect value. Cause I think a lot of people look at their prospects and say, okay, they're doing great. But like, I don't know that I trust the angels to get more. So, you know, am I okay with what I'm seeing from them right now? Cause that might be all that they can give. Uh, and, and concerning that is, even though it is a full campaign, but it's at the lower levels, like, okay, how much do I trust all of that, that I'm seeing one, one sort of like, would you rather that I'm thinking of? And I know the levels aren't the same, um, but just age wise and, and position wise, they're close, um, is Carol or Harry Ford, um, also being both being AOS prospects, like wh who would you rather have right now? if given the chance, like and even just eliminate in a vacuum. So eliminating like draft value is just like, you can pick one. Do you take Harry Ford? Do you take Edgar Carroll? Uh, I think I still have to go with Harry Ford, but yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, he's, he's one of my favorite catching prospects, Harry Ford. So that's, 
that's a tough one. But yeah, I, I think I still have to go with Harry Ford. Uh, Caro has a shot to to make some noise, but hasn't shown it as much. I think right. you know he has one full season that looks great. You know, now let's see him get you know promoted and and keep doing it. Um, but yeah, I think I still have to go with Harry Ford. I I agree, and it's funny because I've had Ford twice and I've traded him twice, <laughs> so I don't know how much I clearly I believe in him. But I um. I agree for for a lot of the same reasons, right? We just haven't seen the consistency from Carol yet, um, because of the age. I do wonder though the the other piece for four that raises his value out of the two for me is that athleticism that so talked about is like there's still a chance that he gets moved off of catcher, um, to another position where he's able to contribute even more on an everyday basis because he's not you know, the toll of catching isn't um, catching up to him, no pun intended. Uh, and I don't know that Carroll has that in his back pocket, right? I think that's something that we've heard with Ford going back to his draft day, right? It's like, oh, he may not even stay at catcher. They might put him at second. They might put him in the outfield. Who knows? He can play, you know, he's so athletic. He can kind of do anything. Um, and I think that question is still yet to be answered permanently by the Mariners. Uh, Carroll seems to be, you know, pretty much a catcher uh, from everything that I can tell. Um, so yeah, uh, the last name that we have is, uh, Addison Barger, um, and I'm probably mispronouncing that one too. Jesus, I need to be better, but that's okay. Um, but that is a prospect for the Blue Jays. He looks like he could actually maybe even break camp, uh, as their second baseman, um, if not starting second baseman, at least, uh, coming off the bench to play uh in the middle infield spot you have with Merrifield obviously there we talked mentioned uh Espinal earlier Kevin Biggio still hanging around um but Barger's right in the he's right in the mix uh another player that played through three levels last year ended up at triple a um you know to hear that he didn't have a WRC plus below 147 at any of the levels um but then you also note here that not a lot of speed, power and, and approach is good, good contact skills. So is he yet another guy? It seems like this is a, 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 a trend that we weren't even aware that we were putting together, just another guy that does many things well, but maybe not necessarily anything great. Yeah, I think um, yeah, I think he definitely could be, but he's closer. You know, he's, um, I think, got a chance to, um, compete for that role, you know, on the major league roster in the uh, kind of towards the end of the year. And, um, you know, I think when you look at those guys, he he could just be another one of those guys that kind of struggles to separate themselves. But as of right now, none of the guys that they have are separating themselves. And so, you know, Merrifield is, is getting older. Kevin Biggio is at this point, he seems like he's had a bunch of chances. Um, you know, he works as a solid platoon bat you know, to face righties because the Jays lineup has needed them in the past, but now it looks a lot better against righties. So it's like Kevin Biggio skills aren't as, um, you know, sought after as they were last year. And, um, and with, uh, Aswin, with Espinal, um, you know, I think he had a decent amount of hype as like a sleeper as he started gaining traction last year. And then his, like, he looked like a bad ball data was going to be good. And then it kind of fell off. And now he's just kind of like, a contact hitter with solid skills all around, right? So I think Barger is kind of the next one up where it's like, all right, let's see if you can differentiate yourself here. Um, and he showed solid power last year. He had, 
26 stolen or 26 home runs across all three levels last year, which is fantastic for a middle infielder um, and nine stolen bases. So I think that, you know, he's someone who, if he can carve out that role, if he could like, you know, prove himself there, um, you know, he could uh, play in a really good Jays lineup, accrue some counting stats, uh, maybe hit 15 to 20 homers in the majors. Uh, when And that's, I think, the biggest difference when we're looking at him versus, you know, maybe uh, the projectability for, you know, Jace Young um, is that if you have a middle infielder who could get to 20, I think that makes a big difference compared to someone who's like, oh, it's hard to see him get past 15. Um, but with Barger hitting 26 home runs last year, you're like, all right, like, is this maybe a Brandon Lau situation? I don't think it's quite there yet. But, um, you know, a guy who hits 20 homers, steals a few bags, and, you know, is a solid hitter. Um, yeah, I, I think he looks really good right now. He kind of um, kind of came out of nowhere. He was a former sixth-round pick in the amateur draft, um, and he didn't really perform at a super high level at rookie ball or at low A or high A in 2021 or earlier. Um, but 2022 was a huge year for him, absolutely huge. So um, I think he gets the shot um, by the end of the year to kind of come up, you know, if a spot opens and kind of take that role because I don't think anyone's really doing it right now. All right. So with that being said, we're going to take another quick break, pay some bills, and then we're going to come back to talk about Dynasty Startups, some strategies there, along with if you're taking over, uh, adopting an orphan and taking over a team, um, some strategies to use there. Okay, so we're back. I know we're running long, but uh, we had a couple more topics that we want to get to, specifically talking about strategies. And I know um, I typically don't talk a lot about strategy uh, on on the pod, but that's that's why we have Jake. Um, Jake is going to be our strategy guy this year. So talking about dynasty startups, and I know you're in the middle of, of a startup draft right now, Jake. What, what do you think about when you talk about your draft strategy for a dynasty startup? Yeah, for sure. I think um, so. In general, there's like a per, some three pretty easy categories that you could take for strategy when approaching a startup: uh, win now, win later, and somewhere in between. Um, really easy to differentiate, right? Um, the win now is like you'll take the discounts on players who are maybe entering their 30s, like but are still really um, productive. Um, maybe like Paul Goldschmidt, who is you know, not entering his 30s, he's like 34, but he just came off an MVP season. He's not going to get drafted at, you know, the round one, two turn or like mid second round or, you know, early in the, in the draft, like he will for redraft. And so it's like, you could take that couple round discount on him um, because you know that he's going to produce next year and probably the year after. And, um, you know, that's going to be really valuable, right? You take those discounts. um, And so, like if like just for example, perfect example, I'm looking at the draft board for the league I'm doing right now. Someone was drafting out of the nine hole, took Trey Turner, Trey Turner in the first, then Mookie Betts, Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado, Zach Wheeler. I mean, that's that's a win now. Absolutely. Like to the T, um, like I'll get my prospects later. I'll rebuild. I'll trade if I have to. But like I'm going for it right now. Give me the deals. If you want to let Mookie Betts fall to the middle of the second, I'll take it. Um, so that's one. And then the win later, you're going to take the prospects. You're going to take the guys like um, Gunnar Henderson, 
uh, Corbin Carroll, Jordan Walker, you're sacrificing around two, three, four pick for someone who likely won't um, be at like their prime this year. But you can see how you're going to get maybe 10 years of solid MLB productivity because they're a top-ranked prospect. You like whatever they bring, right? You need, if you're playing in Roto, Corbin Carroll could get you 25 stolen bases over the next, each season for the next like five, six years, right? And there's the added piece of your accumulating capital, right? Because you can say, hey, if I have, just to use numbers real quick, if I have half of the top 50 for Fangraph's um, prospects, if, if, if that worked out or even that that's not feasible but let's say you have you know 20 out of the 75 uh of their you know of their top rank uh uh prospects that's a good chunk of guys that you can start packaging together for some really good deals to get big time you know major league contributors when you are ready to make that push and, and jump into contention right exactly um so yeah so win later you're focused more on the young guys. You probably don't want to draft anyone older than like 28, 29. If you're really like, you know, not trying to, you're like, I'll, I'll punt this year. It's fine. It is what it is, but I'm going to shoot for it next year. Who's going to be there next year? You know, Corbin Carroll and Gunnar Henderson are going to have a full season under their belt. They should keep developing. Right. Um, and then you have the middle, which is where I like to play. I like to, even if it's not a roto league, I think about dynasty more and rotisserie, right? Where it's like the usually the best, the most balanced team is the most successful. You hit like your 80th percentile um, category is, uh, or 80th percentile, 80th percentile projections in like as many categories as possible, and just go for a balanced team. And as far as like youth and team building in a dynasty, I think it's pretty similar. Um, I don't like to. Um, punt necessarily trying to compete every year um, and I think I think most people are like that but sometimes you get the, these really good prospect classes where you're like oh yeah I'd rather bank on these guys um, and shoot for some upside you know have some fun with it but so um, so for me it's like building out the front end of the team with young guys that are in that have proven themselves in the major leagues that I'm really sure of what I'm going to get from them um, but I'm still going to have three four at least three four five prime years left you know um like the way that this draft is currently going it's pretty much um it's a lot of like guys that are like 27 28 in the first 10 rounds uh like willie adamas will smith uh shane mcclanahan who's 25 nate lau you know so it's like guys that are still like entering their primes in their primes but not like the super like hyped you know prospects the 22 23 24 year olds you know um and so yeah, so I think that's just a really quick and dirty overview of kind of the different ways you could take. Um, and really, I mean, you're just like, you're building the best team and you have to be adaptable to how the room is going. Um, if everyone is pushing up prospects, like in this draft, I wanted more prospects. I really wanted Jordan Walker. I was willing to take a, a potential zero from the round three. Um, but Jordan Walker was pushed up like to, he was drafted in the eighth pick of the third round in a 14-teamer. So uh, mid thirties, I think, um, that's pretty high. I, I would like, I wasn't willing to get them in the second. So, um, and it was pretty much the case across the board prospects started getting pushed up. So it's like, all right, like shifting, I'll get these guys that are in the middle of their careers and then hit prospects later. Um, if pitching is getting pushed up, if hitting is getting pushed up, uh, then, you know, you have to adjust that way. Right. So, you have an idea of where you want to go to start. And then if what you want to do, if everyone else is doing it too, all right, pivot a little bit. 
Um, and I think for me, it usually ends up being, I try to be as balanced as possible and competitive while still seeing how the team is going to be impacted from the young guys in the next few years. Um, yeah. Cool. Cool. Uh, and then to wrap up, uh, we both have taken on um, being stepdaddies. We, we've taken on the orphans <laughs> uh, and, and brought them in uh, under our wing like like Batman and Robin. Uh, I'm learning. This is the first time I've ever done it. Um, I tried to do it in with, with two leagues and, and one league that, that didn't work out. That's a story for another time. Um, but the league that I, I am currently drafting, again, that is an orphan team that I'm taking over. And looking at the notes here, so again, you know, thinking about strategy, Jake, you identified asking yourself the question, uh, kind of similar to are you trying to win now or win later? Are you rebuilding? Are you retooling? Is sort of the first question. And then looking at how does the roster compare to um, the teams that, that were the top finishers, the, the major contenders in the previous season. Um, so starting with that second question, can you talk us through, like, what's, what is your way to compare a roster of an orphan team to those top finishers. Yeah, for sure. So, um, yeah, it's really easy to like look at you know a team that's available, and you're like, oh, I really like these pieces. There's a good mix of young guys. There's some established guys, you know, and it could look really good. And then you go and you look at who finished first in the league last year, and you're like, oh my gosh, especially if there, it's a league that's been established for a while. There's going to be some teams that have had the chance to accrue some ridiculous talent. Um, and so usually if like the longer the league goes on, the easier it is for someone to just like get a ridiculous amount of first round talent. Right. And so if you're looking at it, you're like, I love this team. And then you look at who you're competing against and you're like, Ooh, like I need, you know, to make up a good ground. Um, then I think that should definitely affect your, like your timeline for competing. Um, so, yeah, so I think to do that, it's easiest to do that to compare yourself to the other teams in rotisserie or points leagues because you can go back and see, you know, how many how many points did they accrue? How much am I projected to accrue? Um, where did this team finish last year? And um, look at it that way. You can see where they scored in each statistical category. You can see how much was accrued. It gets more difficult in head-to-head leagues um, because you can see you can see the overall record, but there's a lot of like just random luck kind of built into that in head-to-head leagues because like your team could hit 450 or 150 in a week, you know. Um, so it's harder to look at that in a head-to-head league and know exactly where you stack up. That's where I like to use projections. Um, I am not fantastic with data or spreadsheets. I can't write code to do this for me. I do it like copy and paste into a sheet um, which is why it's only plausible for me to do it for the top few teams unless I have just a stupid amount of time and I'm really bored I'll do it for more but um, you know take the best few teams run projections for 2023 use your favorite projection system and then just see where they're at versus where you're at Um, and I think that's like projections are a really great tool Um, my favorite to use is ATC. It's, you know, it's the aggregate, it's the gold standard, um, I think. And that will definitely give you a good idea of like, all right, do I need more major league pieces? Do I need more at bats? You know, do I have too many role playing guys that have good upside, but don't really have a solid, um, you know, upside as far as plate appearances, um, and a, a spot in the lineup. So looking at projections, seeing where you're, where you're missing is is really key uh, because you don't want to go all in and then you come up and you finish in fifth 
even though maybe a lot of your guys hit and they did really well, but you just like did you're just not at the point of these teams that have been in the league for a really long time. Um, you know, so looking at where everyone's at, determining a realistic goal is like the first things first uh, to do there. Awesome. So with that being said, we're going to wrap, you know, again, uh, these early pods have been uh, quite lengthy, uh, but a lot to cover, especially when it comes to preparing for FYPDs and just getting making that transition from off season into getting ready for the season, which we're so excited uh, to, to be, you know, only uh, a few weeks away from spring training, which of course means we're only a couple months away from opening day. Uh, we want to do a little promotion. Uh, Jake, I know you finished up, well, the dynasty team as a whole did a tremendous job finishing up doing all 30 teams, um, with their top prospects. So kudos to the entire dynasty squad, um, for doing that. Uh, Jake, I know you contributed quite a few pieces, but what do you have next coming up uh, as far as picture list or articles anywhere else? Yeah, so the article I'm, I'm the next one to come out is a piece that's going to be the the top 25 starting pitchers to stash uh, aimed towards redraft leagues, but we're talking about prospects who are going to impact the major league roster this year, right? Um, and it's going to um, coincide with Chris Clegg's um, piece about top 25 hitters to stash in your redraft leagues. Um, those are both going to come out February 7th. Um, a huge day for, for pitcher list, February 7th. It's the release of PL8. Uh, huge update for the whole site. Um, we're going to get our pr- player pages are going to get um, some updates to them. We're going to have percentiles for all of the stats on the player pages. Um, and we're going to release PLV for everyone. Uh, you know, we've had the staff, we've had the chance to kind of go through and play with it a little bit. And it is so much fun. It is fantastic. Um, Kyle Bland did a fantastic job on the graphs, um, on the data visualizations that come with this. Um, the, you know, the whole team, everyone's been really dedicated to this for a while. And it's really, I think, taking the community's ability to analyze players, to value players, and taking it kind of to the next the next step, the next level. You know, you're getting a percentile for a pitcher's um, swing decisions, you know, versus everybody else. Like how good are they at recognizing which pitches are good to hit and bad to hit? You know, um, how often do they swing? How aggressive are they? Um, and so I think for, you know, for hitters, it's really exciting. And then for pitchers, we're looking at individual pitches and how they move, what, like how their um, profiles look, how like their velocity um, the, you know, vertical break and everything like that. So that'll be super exciting and that'll be available to everyone on February 8th. So make sure to check it out. Cool. So your article, you and Clegg are coming out on the 7th and then we got uh, PL8 coming on February 8th. So awesome. Uh, for me, just released the top 20 prospects under 20. So that's out on the site. Um, so, you know, take a look, read that. Has a couple of names that we mentioned uh, here as well. Um, next article is actually going to be my first, my debut for Going Deep. I've never written a Going Deep article. Hopefully this is going to turn out well. Uh, but we're going to be talking about Josiah Gray and uh, in, in the next level that he could possibly hit uh, coming into 2023, hopefully. So with that being said, I always want to remind listeners that you can find this podcast and all of our other Picture List pods on the Picture List Network podcast page. They're all available in the podcast section of Picture List for you to find, listen, and subscribe. You can, of course, find me on Twitter at 
Inside Fastball, capital I, capital F. And you can find me on Twitter at Jake Mache, M-A-I-S-H. With that being said, I hope you all enjoy the rest of your day.